listening to Save Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. Oh my God, the numbers can be overwhelming. The International Union for Conservation of Nature tells us at least 8.3 million metric tons of plastic end up in our oceans every year and contribute about 80% of all marine debris from surface waters to the deep sea. Close to 300,000 tons of plastic float on the surface of the ocean. At the same time, some 4 billion plastic microfibers per square kilometer litter the seafloor. There's even plastic at the very bottom of the ocean. A 2019 study revealed that a plastic bag, similar to the kind given away at any retail store, is now the deepest known piece of plastic trash on planet Earth. It was found at a depth of 36,000 feet inside the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. All this plastic waste is having terrible effects on the marine and coastal environments. The most visible and alarming impacts are to the marine wildlife from the ingestion, suffocation, and the entanglement to seabirds, whales, fishes, and sea turtles, which mistake plastic waste for food or for prey. And most die of starvation as their stomachs are filled with plastic debris. They also suffer from lacerations, infections, reduced ability to swim, and internal injuries. Floating plastics also contribute to the spread of invasive marine organisms and bacteria, which disrupt and sicken whole marine food webs and ecosystems. Plastic fibers are present in all samples collected in the world's oceans, including the Arctic Ocean. When marine organisms ingest plastic debris, these pollutants enter their digestive systems and over time accumulate in the food web. The transfer of pollutants between marine species and humans through consumption of seafood has been identified as health hazard, but has not yet been adequately researched by scientists. Plastic, which is a petroleum product, also contributes to global warming. And plastic waste, if you burn it or incinerate it, it releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere as well as other toxins, thereby increasing carbon emissions. And yet we continue to generate ever more plastic waste. The amount of plastic trash that flows in the oceans every year is expected to nearly triple by 2040 to 29 million metric tons. Some people are even saying that instead we should call our planet Plastic Earth. What can you do? Well, for three women who currently reside in New Jersey, they had enough. In 2019, Nadia, Erica, and Rita created a new awesome and totally amazing nonprofit along the Jersey Shore called the Plastic Wave Project. Right now, it's a small community grassroots all-volunteer organization whose mission is to educate the public about the harmful effects of plastic pollution in our oceans and communities in hopes of creating a healthier, plastic-free environment. The goal is to empower people to live sustainably on their own terms while fostering meaningful connections to the oceans. It's a daunting task for anyone, let alone just three people. 
For Rita, she was born and raised in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. She's been completely enchanted by the ocean for as long as she can remember. And this enchantment grew into a passion at the University of South Carolina, where she earned a BS in marine science. Now she's been accepted to a master's program in Lund University in Sweden to pursue a graduate degree in sustainability management. Recently, I asked Rita who had the original idea that got a group of friends together to form the Plastic Wave Project. Nadia did. So she like texted us out of the blue. Um, I don't remember what year it was. I guess it was 2018. It was the year I graduated. I came home from uh, USC. Um, she was like, I really want to like do stuff with like plastic and beach cleanups and like make it fun. And we didn't really know what we wanted to do. Um, but she had the idea that she wanted to like start a nonprofit. Um, and I was like, well, maybe we should just like make an event or something. Like, I don't know if we have to start a nonprofit. Like that seems like crazy. Um, but she convinced us, she was like, no, I think like we should do it. Like the three of us can do it. And I was like, I don't know, you're crazy. But then it just kind of happened. And, um, uh, we started with like a beach clean with the beach cleanup, um, with yoga beforehand. So like you could come do yoga and then like for free, and then you could do the beach cleanup. Um, and then we did like a couple other events and other beach cleanups and then the art show and then the Meyer plastics. Another founding member of the Plastic Wave Project, Erica, received her master's in marine biology at Montclair State University. She was first introduced to marine debris when she started volunteering on a shellfish project at the NOAA Lab at Sandy Hook. Since then, Erica has been passionate about bringing awareness to global plastic problems by public speaking at events in hopes of creating a more sustainable planet. And Erica goes on to tell us how she first encountered microplastics in shellfish while volunteering at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA Fisheries Lab, at Sandy Hook, New Jersey. And so, like, he recommended to me um, NOAA, and I was like, um, you should come down there and do, like, an interview and see if you can, you know, potentially volunteer there. And I was like, okay, cool. So, ended up going and working with Beth, uh, who's a scientist there. I don't know if you're familiar with Beth, probably. Yeah, I've heard of Beth. I don't know if I've met her. Yeah, so I uh, started working with her on her shellfish project where she was just basically uh, dissecting a bunch of different shellfish like scallops, oysters, clams, and we were just looking to see if we saw microplastics in their, in their guts. It was nothing big, just a basic real quick study. And it ended up being really um, crazy because almost every single shellfish that we opened up had microplastics once we looked at it underneath the, underneath the microscope. It was insane. So like that right there, once I got introduced to it and got familiar with microplastics and plastic pollution, I just got really, really passionate. And from there, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to do this for my thesis. Um, I didn't think that I was going to come out, you know, getting a nonprofit or anything like that. So that was pretty cool about it. But um, then from there, Nadia and I, we volunteered together at NOVA. So we were both working on the same project together, that shellfish project. And me and her would just come in and we would just get so devastated by all the microplastics, like the fibers we would find and, and the fact that no one was talking about it. And so we were 
And, and it was it was interesting because even in the literature at the time, there wasn't really much done on microplastic studies. And so now, I mean, you look at the literature now, everyone's doing something with microplastics. Um, so at the time, me and Nadia were just talking and we were like, um, you know, what can we do? Like, can should we get involved by maybe joining other local nonprofits like Clean Ocean Action or should we just create something on our own? And so... Nadia was really the one that was like, you know, let's just do something on our own because um, that's the only way we're going to get something done. And then from there, I was like, okay, let's do it. And then she knew Rita because her and Rita surfed together. Um, and then we just kind of all had a meeting. And from there, it's just been how it is now. It's pretty cool how it all started. For Nadia, she grew up on the beaches of Highlands, New Jersey, and spent her childhood in and around water while swimming, exploring, and surfing. From a very young age, she was drawn to the ocean and found she couldn't stay away from it, nor did she really want to. This connection cultivated into a dream of turning her passion into her life's work. She decided to study marine science, earning a B.S. in marine and environmental science and policy from Monmouth University. Nadia now dedicates her life to sharing connection to the ocean and spreading awareness on environmental issues, all with the hopes of empowering others to be the change our planet needs. I mean... I think we all had a very similar passion and like this like urgency to do something about it. But um, I I actually met Erica at our internship and we were we were working on microplastic research and we just were so upset by like what we were finding. We were finding microplastics in almost all of our shellfish samples. And that was like really upsetting me because I grew up on the Jersey shore. I actually grew up clamming with my family. So I like clams were like a huge part of like growing up. And when I saw that all of these microfibers were in the clams that I've been eating my entire life, it definitely hit home for me. And it like, it really upset me. And so we kind of, I was talking to Erica and I was like, we should do something about this. Like, I know there's other organizations in the area, but I think that like we should come together and like create something beautiful. And then I thought about Rita, who I surf with. So we like, we had been surfing for a few years together. And I also knew she was studying marine science and was like super passionate about ocean conservation and plastic pollution. So I said, hey, I think you should meet my friend Rita. Let's all meet up together and like, just like start brainstorming and like thinking about what we can do. And so we got together and we kind of just started it. Believe it or not, when plastic first came out to the public, it was a benefit to wildlife. The first synthetic polymer was invented in 1869 by John Wesley Hyatt, who was inspired by a company's offer in New York City of $10,000 for anyone who could provide a substitute for ivory. Why ivory? The growing popularity of billiards had put a strain on the supply of natural ivory obtained through the slaughter of wild elephants. The discovery of plastic was revolutionary at the time. Nature only supplied so much wood, metal, stone, bone, tusk, and horn. But now, humans could create new materials. Advertisements praised plastic or celluloid, as it was known then, as the savior of the elephant and the tortoise. Plastics could protect the natural world from the destructive forces of human need. And then the plastic revolution just got started. So first off, all plastic isn't bad. I would say that there is a need for plastic to an extent. And 
and it can be used in a good way. I think what makes plastic bad is the overconsumption of it. I mean, the single-use plastics. Um, we as a society, we're always like moving fast and, and we never slow down. And that's kind of gotten us to lean very heavily on the convenience of single-use plastics. And so I would say that just depending on it so heavily is what has caused it to be such an issue. And then of course, I mean, it's everywhere and it has such negative effects on the environment, the wildlife, on us. Um, and I, I think that's what makes it so alarming is the fact that it's just all around us. I mean, it's in the air that we're breathing right now. It's in the soil that grows our food. It's in the drinking water. You know, it's in, in the fish that we eat. And, and that's where it becomes concerning. But without plastic today, some industries would suffer. The medical industry would suffer greatly. Plastic is the key ingredient in syringes, heart valves, artificial limbs, and wound dressing. The military also uses plastic for helmets, body armor, communications equipment, and other safety items. Your automobile is also largely made from plastic, which makes it lighter and helps to save fuel and energy. Or even for, yeah, yeah, definitely the medical industry. And I mean, my daughter, she's about to get ready to put on, um, she walks, she, she toe walks a lot. So she's actually getting ready to get casting and then she'll have braces. Some of that stuff is plastic. And I mean, that wouldn't even be, you know, it wouldn't even be something to consider if it wasn't for that um, because of how flexible it is and whatnot. But I mean, I think when we talk about how harmful plastic is, we're really referring to, you know, those wrappers or you go to the supermarket and everything's wrapped in plastic or you want to make the decision to buy something that isn't wrapped in plastic, but yet it's cost so much more than it would in the plastic container. And a lot of people don't have that fortunate fortunacy to be like, okay, I'm going to go for the one in glass when it's like $4 more. Um, so, you know, there's, there's just a, so many big loopholes or so many things that are wrong with this industry in general. During the Second World War, plastic production in the United States increased by 300%. Nylon invented in 1935 as a synthetic silk was used during the war for parachutes, ropes, body armor, helmet liners, and more. Plexiglass provided an alternative to glass for aircraft windows. The surge in plastic production continued after the war ended as Americans were ready to spend again, and much of what they bought was made of plastic. Today, plastic is everywhere. Outdoor furniture, siding, floor tiles, shower curtains, detergent bottles, milk jugs, bottle caps, drinking straws, yogurt containers. There's even a huge percentage of plastic in your television sets, your sound systems, your cell phones, and your vacuum cleaners. And there's probably plastic foam in your furniture. What are you walking on? Unless your floor is covered in real wood, it probably has a synthetic natural fiber blend like some of the clothes you're also wearing. All this plastic since the early 1900s and especially since World War II has now broken down into smaller and smaller bits. So small, we call them microplastics. Microplastics are defined as plastics less than five millimeters in diameter smaller in diameter than the standard pearl used in jewelry. There are two categories of microplastics, primary and secondary. 
primary microplastics are tiny particles designed for commercial use, such as cosmetics, as well as microfibers that shed from clothing and other textiles, such as fishing nets. Secondary microplastics are particles that result from the breakdown of larger plastic items, such as water bottles. This breakdown is caused by exposure to environmental factors, but mainly from the sun's radiation and the waves of the ocean. The problem with microplastics is that light plastic items of any size, they don't really break down into harmless molecules. Plastics can take hundreds or even thousands of years to decompose, and in the meantime, they wreak havoc on the environment. On beaches, microplastics are visible as tiny, multicolored plastic bits in sand. In the ocean waters, microplastic pollution is often consumed by marine animals. I would say that uh, microplastics are harmful because, one, they just they never go away, right? I mean, there's nothing in nature that can break them down and allow it to, you know, someone to use that energy or anything like that. That just doesn't happen in nature. Um, so unfortunately, it ends up being a big problem for organisms. So, I mean, that itself just makes it horrible. It can suffocate them. It can get into certain areas in their body and disrupt their normal activities. Um, there's just so many reasons why it's harmful. All the toxins that are associated with them that also leach out, out of the plastic that also um, can get into the, or the water and the organisms as well. And then finally, it's just a bio, it comes from the oil industry and we need to get away from fossil fuels. So like that itself should be a number one reason. Okay, so you're walking along the beach, you pick up a pile of microplastics in your hand. What are you supposed to do with them? I asked Rita, what are you supposed to do with all these microplastics? Oh, the question of the hour. Um, so I, there's a couple things. Um, there, I've seen people create really interesting art with them. So I've seen people like use like resin to make like cool earrings or like um, coasters, um, neck, like jewel, other jewelry, stuff like that. So I've seen that. Um, Right now, I have a lot just sitting in a jar that I just look at. <laughs> um, unfortunately, there isn't really a way to recycle or dispose of them super well at the moment um, because they're so small. Chances are even if you like throw them away, they'll probably wind up back in the environment. Hey, Nadia, can I avoid plastic in my town? I, I would say it's pretty impossible to completely avoid plastic, but I would tell everyone to slow down and, and just really think, do I need to use this single use plastic? And, and if you do forgive yourself, like I would also say, don't be so hard on yourself because for a while I was really trying to live this plastic free lifestyle. And I really started beating myself up when I couldn't accomplish what I was trying to do you know, using plastic, but just try your best to eliminate what you can. And, and, um, yeah. Cause I remember when we were hanging out during the summer, like you had all these wonderful ideas about like ways to cut out plastic. And I was so inspired. First of all, let me just say like, you know, really 
you guys, like the three of you are just so awesome. And you constantly inspire me all the time because I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And I just look at you three and like, okay, that's what I should be doing. That's like the path I should be going down because you guys are so awesome and with so many great ideas and so much good stuff. It just constantly inspires me all the time. Thanks, so that, that's it's true. So that summer, like you were inspiring me so much to think about like the way I live. And I still think that way. I'm constantly questioning myself and think like, okay, what would Nadia do? And so like, so you have all these great ideas. And so like, what are some things that people can do to like limit the amount of plastics? Well, first off, I'm not perfect. So I just want to start with that. Um, I definitely do find myself using plastic. Um, but as far as limiting how I limit my plastic uses, um, for usually I, try to avoid buying plastic pa packaged items at the grocery store. So that means like, instead of buying the peanut butter in a plastic jar, like in a plastic container, buying the glass jar instead. Um, I always carry my reusable bags with me. And if I don't, then a lot of the times you'll see me at, uh, running out of the grocery store, like holding everything. Um, I, I actually started making my own toothpaste, my own homemade toothpaste, which um, is definitely a, a big difference from regular toothpaste, but you get used to it. And um, I started making my own homemade milk, so uh, plant-based milk, oat milk, um, to avoid all of the plastic containers that you find at the grocery store. Um, what else? Bringing my own... Um, bamboo utensils with me when I can. And um, a big thing that I think you can do is avoid or try to avoid going out for your morning coffee. Like, or if you do maybe bring your reusable um, coffee jar. The thing with that is it's been a little bit difficult with COVID because I used to be able to go to the coffee shop and bring my reusable mug. And now a lot of places aren't allowing you to do that, um, which is understandable. But I guess just the whole um, part about like being sustainable is just slowing down more and like thinking through what your next move is. So, you know, maybe like waking up a few minutes earlier and packing um, packing your lunch in a reusable container and making yourself a cup of coffee and putting it in your to-go mug, things like that. So I think that when I started um, going more plastic free and like trying to live a more sustainable life, my hardest thing was slowing down and not rushing so much because I think that's why people find it so difficult to avoid the single use items is that they can't get themselves to slow down enough because they're always on the go. So they're gonna run to the store and pick up that sandwich that's wrapped in the plastic because it's easy, it's fast, it's convenient. And, and that's what we often turn to. But it's not only amazing advice. What I also find truly remarkable about the Plastic Wave Project is that there's so much good stuff going on through so many different ways. For example, here's Erica explaining how they hope to expand their educational outreach to include not just people living along the Jersey Shore, but the entire state of New Jersey, including urban areas where many people live, including Erica in Newark, New Jersey. That is, we would like to um, kind of come up with money to get like care packages and actually hand them out 
to like lesson kids from less unfortunate areas or that are not able to get that stuff and then maybe um try to come up up here where I live and get um you know the community involved over here it's pretty hard to do that because right now what we're what I've been trying to figure out is you know a lot of people over here they don't live near the ocean so it's really hard for them to feel connected to something they don't live next to so but we do have a really nice big um park with a lake and the problem with that lake is in the summertime you know it gets really bad those um, algal blooms and it's not taken care of properly so what I was you know, pitching out and what I'm doing now with the team over here with the North Green team is I'm trying to figure out a way in which we can probably get money together to clean up that lake and maybe get um, kids out there, maybe taking YSI samples just to get them, you know, familiar with water and familiar with the environment. Um, because unfortunately, a lot of them just don't and they utilize it for everything else, basketball, playing around, things like that, but they don't look at it as that. I'm trying, that's what I want to do now is I want to kind of shift their focus to that and see like, hey, you know, this is your environment. You live around here. This, this is, this matters. So that's what I want to do now with Plastic Wave Project. Here's the part of the interview where I try to blow Nadia's mind to bits with a very profound question. So do you think it's a, a plague of plastic along the Jersey Shore? A plague of plastic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I think that, um, more and more people are becoming aware of it though. And, you know, I don't even know how to answer that question, but yes, it is a plague of plastic along the Jersey shore. And, and how long do you think like plastic has been a problem along the Jersey shore? I think that it's been a, a problem for a long time. I think that it has gotten worse as, I mean, plastic um, production really started happening in the 1950s. And I think that as the years went on, it started to become more and more of an issue. And with transportation, I mean, think about all of the cargo ships that are constantly transporting. I mean, it's been an issue for a long time. It's I guess the answer is, when did we start becoming aware of it? But the Plastic Wave Project isn't interested in educating people about the harmful effects of plastic waste on their own. As Erica puts it, it's all about cooperation. And it's nice when nonprofits work together. I don't know why there's such a, even in the science community, I guess the old school science community, it's like, you keep your data to yourself and you know you want to publish my name my name i want to be first author and it's like no we need to all collaborate and be together and all do this science together if we really want to make some kind of difference because if you have a certain idea about something i might ha not have that same idea and then you can bring your uniqueness to the to the experiment or to the writing or whatever it is that we're talking about so i think it's important that we collaborate everyone collaborates i don't know why everything is so it's mine, you know, so self-defensive about everything. It's interesting. You can become part of the solution. Maybe you could even become a citizen scientist, which is scientific research conducted in whole or in part by amateur scientists just like you. Yeah, I think I think citizen research pro programs in general are great because it gets people 
feeling like they're actually c contributing to something, which is nice, and it gets them involved with science. So I love, yeah, I love citizen um, science projects. I think they're really cool. And I think I tell everyone, like, if you want to get involved in your area, like even here, um, I've been trying to get involved with uh, programs here that are doing citizen science programs just because it's like, you know, it's important. It's, it's cool to see other people, the average person get involved. And that's because good ideas to save the planet can come from anywhere and anybody, as Rita tells us when she visited Australia. And when I was in Australia, they had all these campaigns going around about like, um, oh, it was called Take Three for the Sea. So it was whenever you saw plastic on the beach, you would take three pieces of plastic and, and like every time you went to the beach, you'd make sure you picked up three pieces of garbage. So how could we don't do that in New Jersey? I love that idea. Like every time you go to the beach, take three pieces of trash. Stay it was beach. on like every single garbage can that was by, by the beach. It, it said like, rem remember to take three for the sea. And it was like this campaign that some like student I think came up with. And I don't remember, okay. I'm probably doing it like less credit, but then it's due, but I remember seeing it and being like, what is that? And I looked, looked it up and they their website had all this stuff about like plastic and things like that. That's a great idea, Rita. Why can't we do that in New Jersey? We've been talking to Nadia, Erica, and Rita, the founders and the leadership of the Plastic Wave Project, a new nonprofit along the Jersey Shore devoted to educating the public about the harmful effects of plastic pollution in our oceans and communities in hopes of creating a healthy, plastic-free environment. If you wish to find out more about this awesome organization, the Plastic Wave Project, please visit their website at www plasticwaveproject.com and if you wish to find out more about microplastics and to help the Plastic Wave Project save coastal wildlife and other fabulous organizations monitor our beaches and environment in New Jersey for microplastics please visit the microplastic webpage under the heading of our work at www.plasticwaveproject.com backslash microplastics I would like to thank Erica, Nadia, and Rita for spending some time for this podcast. My name is Joe Reynolds, director of Save Coastal Wildlife and host of Save Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. To find out more about Save Coastal Wildlife, please visit our website at www.savecoastalwildlife.org. Thank you for listening. We hope that you come back off and discover more about the issues and biodiversity along the Jersey Shore. Until next time, this is Joe Reynolds reminding you to please protect Mother Earth and make sure to clean up and not pollute our environment for all species to enjoy. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here is your sing-along.
seals, let them be. We all must learn to protect the sea. Keep the waters clean, it's up to you and me. on the shore. The birds and the fish won't come anymore. Protect and preserve the wildlife today. We've got to Goodbye.